0: Good morning everybody it's good to see you all this morning and now uh, welcome to all of you glad that you're with us uh why don't we do this right now first of all i just want to say thanks andrea for being willing to be up here if she was any more pregnant i'm afraid she would blow up i'm just saying what all of us are thinking right I, i'm actually like don't have the baby on the platform then i thought no that would be cool really i mean that would be like i mean we all be like ah, you never believe what happened at church this morning you know so Anyhow, thanks for doing that. I I really do appreciate that. If you're by family or somebody you know, why don't you turn to them right now, look at them and just say, you look amazing today. All right, come on, just say it to them. So recently I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about the resurgence of something that uh, most of us had kind of uh, written off and been talking about. I'm one of those people that kind of written it off. It's something you've heard of. It's paper. A lot of people, and that includes me, have have had the sense that, you know, paper's on its way out. Paper's just with with digital technology, all that's happening. But, you know, we're going to see less and less and less and less and less of paper until it's like we don't even see it anymore. I mean, you think about it, it's, it's really, it's remarkable, actually how little is used compared to what was used in the past. Newspapers are consolidating, they're going out of business, they're printing you know, only on certain days now instead of seven days a week. All this stuff's happening. And so people kind of felt like paper was going to come to an end. I mean, you can get anywhere you go. You can get at the library digital books. Now you can read it on your e-reader. But of course, some people feel that technology seems to promise sometimes and doesn't come like all the way through like they feel that it should. And apparently, there's like a lot of people who feel this way. And actually, there are a lot of people who feel like, for example, when they're reading a book, they like the feel of paper in their fingers. They like it, actually. They would rather have that than a digital reader. Can I just ask a question? This is just my own informal poll. How many of you would say you'd rather read a paper book than a digital book? Would you... Look at you bunch of backwards people, I don't understand all that, you know. But it's interesting to me. It's, it's fascinating because we had kind of said the end of paper is coming, but it appears that there are some things that are done better non-digitally than digitally, and it's just, it's just the way it is. And no matter how you feel about that, whatever your opinion is on the whole thing, where paper is going or whatever, I don't think anybody would argue that technology sometimes seems to promise more than it delivers, like sometimes you feel like a new technology comes out and it's like, this is going to save you so much time and your life will be less crazy and insane and you'll, you'll have more energy and time to do other things. I, I think it could deliver that, but I think it seldom really does. I don't think any of you would argue that the cell phone, the smartphone that everybody seems to have in their hands these days, has not only been for us. These smartphones, which are hooked up to social media and online news and countless other mindless apps, uh, gaming apps and all that, these have not been time savers. How many of you would agree with me that these have become time suckers? Anybody know what I'm talking about here? I mean, I'm just, I'm going to, this is just a true confession up front. I love my phone, okay? I love my phone. And when a new iteration comes out of an Apple, uh, an iPhone, I'm just like, I got to have it. I just really want. So I'm going to, this is my confession. I love my phone. But I am amazed. I mean, honestly, I'm amazed by how we seem to not be adapting so well to the phone. Folks, you know, you know, this is true. It's like, sometimes I'll see a group of people and they're in what I would describe as a communal pose, so that means they're around a table or they're in a circle or a semicircle, where they could make eye contact and talk to each other and look at each other. But what are they doing? They're all there in one place and they're all just kind of looking at... Their phones. And you've seen this. I saw a meme the other day, which I just loved. This is, this is, it just says, anyone plan to stare at their phones someplace exciting this weekend? In other words, are you going away someplace cool where you'll just stare at your stinking phone anyhow? Because that's what seems that so many people do. I mean, it's definitely something that we struggle with. All of us. And yet, now there's a reason why I'm saying all this. Hang on. You may disagree with me on this, but I'm actually of the conviction. It, this is my perspective, anyhow. I don't think the issue is the technology. People talk about, oh, life is just so insane, and it's crazy, and it's busy, and, it, and then they want to blame like, our smartphones, or they want to blame social media, or they want to blame some new thing that has come out. Now, new things come out, and they're always disruptive. Not necessarily destructive, but they are disruptive. And we have to learn how to use them. We have to learn how to adapt to these things. But I think the problem is, is that what many of us do is we use these as a scapegoat. We blame the smartphone or technology or people in social media and all these things for problems that are not innate in the technology or the new thing. They are in us. And the problem really resides, this is again my perspective, and you can disagree with this certainly, but my perspective is it's not that smartphones are bad or social media is evil or all this stuff that people are saying. I think they're just tools and we haven't learned in many regards how actually to use them well because... Of what's in us see there is a brokenness in us it's just that this tool is in our hands and we don't know how to use it and sometimes i think we're blaming that we're talking about how overwhelmed we are and how crazy and distracted our life is and, and this evil invasion of digital technology and you just can't get away from it the truth is you can get away from it and you can say no to it the problem isn't that thing the problem is me nobody's saying amen at this point but i i, I think I think you all understand what I'm saying. The problem is not your phone. The problem is not the digital stuff. The problem is in us. We have a new technology. This is stuff, you know, it's not all that new, but we're still learning how to adapt to it and figure it out. But the problem is not that stuff. We want to blame something. We want to blame it. But the truth is, you don't need the advancements of modernity to see that we've struggled with distraction and getting frustrated and getting upset and not dealing with stuff well and then blaming it on other people. We've dealt with that throughout history. It's as old as time. I mean, Jesus bumps into this very thing 2,000 years ago. Many of you are familiar with this story. So we'll put it up so you can see. Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way somewhere. And they come to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him, to Jesus and his disciples. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was, what's the next word? Martha was distracted. Now remember... She wasn't looking at her phone. She, she didn't have a smartphone. They didn't have anything. like. She wasn't looking at a, a telegraph. She had nothing, all right? She had none of that stuff. But she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and she said to him, Lord, don't you care that my sisters left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus' response is so beautiful. I, I've shared this before many times. He's like, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about what? Many things, many things. But few things are needed, really. Indeed, only one, Jesus says, Mary has chosen what's better. And it won't be taken away from her. It's interesting. Martha didn't have an oven like we have. She, didn't, she couldn't go turn gas burners on. She didn't have a refrigerator to pull stuff out of. She's trying to prepare a meal. She didn't have all the advancements we have. But she had the same thing we all have. And that is she was a broken human being. And she struggled with distraction and frustration and getting anxious and getting mad and getting upset. And then blaming it on everything but herself. And she wouldn't own it. Now see... Here we are 2,000 years later, and we got all these totally awesome, advanced things that we use and have, but we still struggle with the same thing, right? We're crazy busy. We got all this stuff going on. We're upset. We're anxious. We're distracted, and we get into these vicious cycles where all this stuff happens, and we're missing things, and we're frustrated, and then what do we want to do? Well, we'd like to just blame it on someone else or something else or some way. And see, Jesus wasn't telling Martha, you shouldn't be working. You shouldn't make the meal. You shouldn't do stuff. He wasn't saying, don't do anything. Jesus was saying, Martha, this is something, number one, you are dealing with. This isn't Mary's issue. This is a Martha issue. And number two, what Jesus was saying in a larger picture was, you need to make sure you're focused on the stuff that matters. On the things that really count, on the things that are important in life. You need to make sure that the stuff that you are doing, the things that you're engaged in, the things you're involved in, are the things that are important and great. And that's what we've been talking about in this whole series, from Easter weekend, the beginning of April, until We end this series today. We've been talking about the greatest thing, which I've contended from the beginning, is God's love. It is the greatest thing ever and the most important thing. The Bible says three things will remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is its love. It's God's love. And Jesus was talking about how important it is that you stay focused on the things that matter because when you get distracted and then when you get kind of uptight and you get tense and you get angry and you get frustrated about the way this is going and the way that's going, you start to miss what people are saying to you. You start to miss things and then you get more frustrated and you're round and round in this circle you go. And then this is what happens and this is what I want you to hear because it's very important. You come to the place Whereas, as rich as you are, you are miserable. And because you're miserable, you don't love people well. Here's what I'm contending basically if you don't, if you don't love yourself in your life, you're going to have a hard time loving other people. And we've talked about that a lot. But that's just a fact, if you don't love yourself, if you don't love your own life, if you don't love what's happening in your life, if you don't love that, it's very hard to love other people because you're miserable. At one point, actually, Jesus was asked the question, what are the greatest commandments? What matters most of all? And his response was real simple. Here it is. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he adds to it, he says, the second is this, love your neighbor. Would you read the last two words out loud? You love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now you can look at this from a backwards way and say, in effect, what Jesus was saying was, if you don't love yourself, you're going to stink at loving your neighbor. You love your neighbor as yourself. So here we are. We're at the finish of this series, and I've been talking about this greatest thing, love. And and some weeks we talk about, you know, how we apply it to our, you know, I started out talking about how we apply it to our husband, our wife, our mates, our significant other, how we apply it to family, our children, our parents, our, our, our siblings, the people around us in family, how we apply it to people that we go to school with, people that we work with. Last weekend I talked about how we love, which is an astounding thing to even think about, how can you love the world? God calls us to love the world. How we do that talked about this week after week. This week I want to change tack. I, I want to come at it from a different angle. What I want to challenge you to this week, where I've been talking about how we love others throughout this series. Today I want to end by challenging you to love your life. To love your life. To actually love yourself and your life. And just to repeat what I said, if you if you don't carry a general love for who you are and your life, you will have a very hard time loving other people, no matter how much you think you should or how important it is. Because what happens is you get into this negative feedback loop. You're negative about your life. You're negative about things that are happening. You're talking about that. You're listening to yourself talk. And around and around and around it goes, and you miss things, and you're frustrated, and you're anxious, and you will not love other people people well because all you see is how dark it is once you put dark glasses on everything in your world looks dark now i know some of you are thinking right now dude there's nothing i would like better than to love my life but my life currently sucks and I cannot love my life. Now, if some things were to change, if this were to get fixed or if that were to happen, if my wife would just stop nagging me all the time, or if my husband would just treat me with respect or if my kids would not be such idiots or, and there's no hope in that. Let me just say as up here. if my, if, if this would change, if my economic situation, if whatever it is would change, then maybe I could have some love for my life. I could have some joy in life. I could have some happiness, but as it is right now, No, no way. And I know, I I just want to say, I know some of you have taken some serious, serious hits. And your life has been hard recently. It's been painful and it's been difficult. I understand that. And some of these things that have happened to you, they're not your fault. They just happen and they happen in life and they're hard. I get that. I just want to challenge your thinking, okay? I don't want to make light of what you're going through. I just want to challenge your thinking. This is what I'm contending. This is the essence of what I'm contending. That having difficult circumstances doesn't mean you can't love your life. Shall I repeat it? Some of you, you're here this weekend because this is what you needed to hear. Having difficult circumstances doesn't mean you can't love your life. Now, it does mean you may have to work at it. It does mean that it may be difficult to do, but it's doable. It's possible. And I want you to get this. seriously, you can love your life. And some of you listening to me, you just need to hear this. You should be. You have so much good in your life. But you're walking around with your head down and your tail between your legs and you're miserable and you're talking about how terrible things are all the time and how you can't get a break and how bad life is. And you are missing it. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, who's an author and speaker, he talks about in a book on happiness, he talks about the enormous volume of research that has been done around the subject of happiness, or call it joy or call it whatever you want to, loving your life, however you want to describe it and he says it 's an interesting thing about happiness. He says first of all, research has validated that it 's about ten percent of the the circumstances excuse me the circumstances in your life impact your happiness by a volume of about 10%. So so only about 10% of your happiness or lack of happiness is based on the circumstances, the external circumstances of your life. Now, that is the exact opposite of what most of us think. Remember what I said, people, some of you were saying, well, I would love my life if, and then you start thinking, well, if I could just get the weight of this financial debt that I have in my life, if I could get my school paid off, if I could get this thing, if I could get that thing, if this circumstance, if this thing, most of us think that 90% of the reason why we're not happy is about our circumstances, where research says it's only about 10% in terms of affecting your level of happiness, your circumstances. 10%. Now, the next 50% of what impacts your level of happiness, whether you're happy or not happy, what, what level you're happy at, has to do with your emotional, mental, and even genetic makeup, kind of how you're bent. Uh, you all know this. Some people just seem to be born happier than others. You all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you walk into a nursery, and a couple of babies are smiling and laughing, and a couple you look at and you go, you're going to have a hard time being happy in this life. You can just kind of see it. You know, the, the, some people grow up and they look like they were weaned on a pickle. You know what I'm talking about? They're just, just, they just look at life kind of sour, so, kind, of, kind of sad, you know? And it's not necessarily because they're a bad person or because they're, they're not thoughtful. It's because we are all built or wired, hardwired, a little bit differently. And some of us are more hardwired glass half full, and some of us are more hardwired glass what? H- half empty. In fact, let's just do a little poll. This would be interesting. How many of you think you're hardwired glass half full? You look at the upside of things. All right. Six of you. Let me ask the question on the other side of it. This is a tough crowd to preach How many of you think you're wired glass half empty? Would you just be honest and lift your hand up? All right. See, most of you won't lift your hand up because you're like, it's just a waste of time. Anyhow, it- I'll be honest with you, I think that tends to be my hard wiring is kind of glass half empty. I, there's a certain cynicism in me that I just kind of look at things and I say, oh, I don't know if I really believe that or I really accept that. And I think a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But people are wired different ways. So, so you have that 10% of circumstances affects your happiness. And then about 50% is affected by who you are, how you're built. Here's, here's the good news. All the rest of it. Roughly 40% is based around stuff that you have absolute and total control over. And this is where I think many of us miss what's really important here. This is what he says. These kind of things, he says, you have control over, like your your, things that are under your direct control like your behavior, your thoughts, the intentional practices of your life. All these things you have absolute control total control over. And these are a huge percentage of what makes you happy or not happy. And they also impact how you're bent and they impact the circumstances of your life. Because the truth is, and you know this, you've seen people who have terrible circumstances and yet they have a level of happiness that is almost inexplicable. Why is that? Is it because they're taking drugs? Is it because they're drinking? Is it because something else is going on? Or is it possible that the 40%, which is a huge percentage of the things under their control, they choose to look and see how good their life is, and they have a level of happiness because they have learned to love the life They have, not the one they wish for, not the one they hope for, not when I get that job or when I get over this sickness or when I get rid of this woman and get another one or whatever it is you may be thinking. Not then, but they have learned to love the life they have. And I know some of you are thinking right now, dude, you don't just, you don't choose to love. Either your life is something you can love or it's not something you love. That is so untrue. The truth is, is that just as God calls us to love people who aren't easy to love, even Jesus at one point said, love your, anybody know, enemies. Just as we are called to love that which is not easy to love in other people, we are called to love that which is not easy to love even in our lives. And this is so important, folks. Sometimes I think it's just as simple, and and I, I realize this is really basic stuff here, but I think sometimes it's as simple as just reminding ourselves of what I would call the larger truths or the greater truths. Now, some of you who are here this weekend or watching online, you're not sure where you're at with the whole God thing. Somebody invited you or told you you should watch or listen, and you're like, I'm not sure where I'm at. And you have to figure that out, and I know that you will. But can I just say this? I did this last week and I just want to do it again. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, can I just remind you of a larger truth? You win. You can't lose following christ is a win-win proposition you win in life If you die you win you win And I think sometimes we're walking around with our heads down and we have forgotten who we are in christ Let me just read some scripture to you. This is from ephesians chapter 2 This is what it's talking about us and god. It says because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy and I underlined this made us alive with christ. You have been made alive with christ amen are there any Pentecostals in here? You've been made alive with Christ. Amen. Yes. Amen. You've been made alive with Christ. Even when we're dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. And look at this next part. I love this. And God has raised us up with Christ in, heaven, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He has raised us up. You have been raised up with Christ. You are not defeated. You are not broken. You are not damaged goods. You have been raised up with Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. Don't miss that. Sometimes people, you know, you're talking to them, you're like, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances, things aren't going. so. I think sometimes maybe we need people that love us enough to kind of go, why are you under the circumstances? Have you forgotten that you've been raised up with Christ in heavenly realms? Have you forgotten that you've been made alive with Christ? That you win because you have a God who loves you and is there for you, that you are not defeated by the things that happen around you. It may be difficult. It may be painful. It may be hard. But you still have been made alive with Christ. And so you win. And I'm just... I guess this weekend, what I want to do is I just want to remind you of that truth and tell you that you have a life that you should be loving. You can love it. You should love it. You should engage with it instead of wallowing around in self-defeat and feeling like, if I can just fix this thing, if I can just get there, if I can do that. No, 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 no. no. You can love the life you have right now. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if it's painful. The question is, do you? I think it's a really good question to ask. Do you love your life? I don't know, this has just been a thing with me recently, but it's kind of like God's just been dealing with me. This has been going on for some months now. But just reminding me, it's almost like I can hear Him saying, do you know how blessed you are? Do you know how rich you are? Because I have this propensity to get kind of dark sometimes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nobody's going to raise their hand because they're like, no, I don't know what you're talking. (laughs) It's like God's reminding me. You love what I've done in you. you. Love it. Because you're not going to love people well if you can't love the life that you're living and yourself in in this time in your life right now. You're going to have a very difficult time loving other people. So here's what I want to do. I want to just throw out some ideas. And these are things that you already know. This is simple stuff. And you can take it from here. You can do with it what you want. I think some of us, we came to hear some of the things that I'm going to say. But these are just simple, simple things. If you want to love your life, if you want to live a life that you're loving... I think one of the things you have to do, and this is hugely important, is you have to sure, make sure that you're making space in your life, that you're making, that you have some margin in your life. One of my favorite scriptures is where God speaks directly. It's an Old Testament scripture, and it goes simply like this God says in Psalm 46:10, Be still, and know that I am God. Not be still for the sake of being still, but be still so you can hear and be reminded of who is God. And this is something that we sometimes miss in the busyness and the chaos of our lives because we schedule so many things and we do so many things and we got so many things going, we got all this happening, and we're running from one thing to the next that we miss hearing who is God and who isn't. And so because there's no margin in our lives, we don't hear God saying, I am God. You still aren't, and it's going to be okay. I am God, you still aren't, and it's going to be okay. We need to hear that voice. And I think it would do some of us a lot of good. I realize it's, uh, lots of you are in different situations in your life, but many of you, you're living in this chaotically paced life where it's so nonstop you feel at the edge of exhaustion all the time and it's like all you can think about is getting to the end of this thing so you can get to the next thing and then you're going to get to the next thing and there's no space and i think periodically it's good for us to take a couple hours or a half day or a day or whatever it is and step back and ask ourselves about the stuff we're doing and ask this question is it taking me where i want to go It's a really good question to ask. Is the stuff I'm doing with my life right now helping me become who I want to be? Is it taking me where I want to go? And if it is not, then some changes need to take place. And some of you are going, well, dude, I could ask that question, but I'm not sure where I want to go anyhow. And I would say to you that you have to take another giant step backwards, and you really should process through this. Who is it that you want to become? How is it that you want your life to be lived? When you get to the end of your days, how is it that you want to look back when you're in the rocking chair on the porch and you look back over the years of your life? How do you want to say, I live this way? That is where you want to go. And so then you come back to the question, is what I'm doing these days, is the chaos in my life, is the difficulty, whatever it is, whatever's happening, is it taking me where I want to go? And if it's not, then I need to stop it. I need to lessen it. I need to change it. I need to start something that will take me there but i think we need to know Do you know that i actually read out loud i say it out loud no i don't do it in front of people i do it in a quiet place and if i think somebody might overhear me i whisper it but i do this i daily go through who i believe god is calling me to be and wants me to be because i don't want to forget where i'm going this is what i've learned about life if you don't choose where you're going life will send you somewhere and it's almost certainly not going to be where you will have wanted to go come on is that true So you not only say, this is where I want to go with my life, and it doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. You still need to be looking at where you want to go, what you want to become. You should be growing. And if what you're doing today is not getting you moving in that direction, then you need to change what you're doing today to get back on course. Now, real quickly, I want to speak parenthetically to to parents for just a moment. I, I just feel led of God to do this particularly parents of younger children, teens and on down. L- listen, listen, your kids feel every bit as much pressure to do everything there is to do as you do. They feel the pressure because all human beings suffer from at least some level of FOMO, which is an acronym for fear of missing out. All of us struggle with FOMO. We all think, oh, I better do this. i got to do that. I've got to do... And so we're pushing to the next thing to experience. Now, this is true for all of us. But they're kids. And you are the adult. Some of you may disagree with me, and I get that. But just hear me out on this. I think a child... Who is involved in 20 different things and running from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, does not, I think that does not produce a well rounded and happy child. I think it produces a frustrated and sad child. And I'll just add this thought and be done with this. This will sound crazy to some of you, but I actually think it's perfectly normal and healthy for a child to say periodically, I'm bored. I think it's not just normal. I think it's healthy. Do you know why? Because it's in the quiet spaces of our lives, where we hear things, where creativity begins to grow, where our minds capture things, where we process things, and it's in those spaces. And kids, of course, in an early age, you know, often they're just like, "I'm bored because they they just want to be entertained all the time." I think sometimes it's all right to say, "No, no screen time for the next two hours." Well, what will I do? I don't care. But go out of the house and stay out. All right, some of your moms are going, oh, thank you, Jesus, that was... Working. Okay, just for the record, that's for the sake of the kids, all right? I, lo- I love the scripture that I saw. This, this is what it says. I, this was in my devotions recently. It just, it just hit me. Better one handful, meaning a little less, with tranquility. Then two handfuls. I got all kinds of experiences with toil and chasing after the wind. Come on. Do you ever feel like you're just chasing your tail? You're just chasing after the wind. You're just, it's like I'm doing all this stuff. I'm going, going, going. Is it making a difference? Is it getting me where I need to go? Have you actually asked and then thought through? Are you making space? Because this is the bottom line. No space equals impaired hearing. No space equals impaired hearing. You don't hear God saying, I'm God. You're still not. And it'll be okay. First, make space. Second, celebrate. Now you already know this, so I'm not going to beat this, but this is, this is what I'm suggesting today. I think you all need to have more parties. Yeah, some of you are like, oh yeah. Alright, let me clarify what I mean by party. Alright? I'm not talking about engaging in self-indulgence for the sake of just feeling good. I just think we ought to celebrate more how good our lives is and how blessed we are. I just think we ought to do it more. I think we ought to be saying it to people. I think we ought to be doing it. Some of you heard me talk about this. This is nothing real exceptional. And I think my wife, Ann, started, I don't remember, but in our family with for our kids, they're all grown now, but we have birthday parties, so we'll have four or five a year. And we'll we'll plan it when we can think everybody can get there, as many people as possible. And then we all gather. And with our family now, that's 17, 18 people around the table. And so the birthday people around that time put the request in, and mom makes food for all of them and does all this stuff. But every time we do this, we set out these chintzy little horrible looking plastic wine glasses, and we set them around for everybody, kids, every adult, everybody. And then we fill them with what we call toasting juice which can be a countless different things over the years there's been so many variety of different things and then during the meal that's not for drinking with your food that is only for toasting and then during the meal someone will pick up their glass and they'll say i have a toast and that's a kind of an unspoken sign for everybody to stop eating and then they all pick their glasses up and we all hold them up and then they look at the person that they want to toast And they say words about them that speak life. What I love about you is that you, you've been such a great brother to me. I'm proud of you as a mom. You've touched my life. And this is the funny part, is that we do this, and I love it. The only time I don't love it is like when I'm right in the middle of a good piece of meat and someone says toast, and then at our house, if you want to toast after that person, you go chain. So sometimes a person will say, "I want to make a toast," and then you hear chain, chain, chain. You're like, "All right, see you later. I'm not going to eat for a while. That's all there is to it. We're going to." And I have never regretted it. I think we should toast more. Come on, I think we should toast more. I think we should toast the people in our lives. I think we should toast the goodness of God. I think we should toast and I think we should party and thank God and celebrate because this is actually biblical. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always, always, always. And I'll say it again, rejoice. And people who are partying, people who celebrate, I'm not talking about partying and self-indulgence. I'm talking about celebrating. They love their lives. They love their lives. So important. One more. We should make space to celebrate and this last one give. It sounds a little paradoxical, and it really is in some ways. But it's the idea, and this is going to be a little harder for some people to get, that when you give of yourself in some way, when you give of yourself in some way, it blesses you. Now, in the economy that we live in of the world, it never makes sense. I love this scripture. This, in God's economy, though, it does. not in, in Proverbs 11, 24, it says, one person gives freely and yet gains even more. It's like they give stuff away. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time, your energy, whatever it is. You give of yourself and you gain even more. Another withholds. In other words, I'm not, get, I'm not letting any, any of this go. You think that they would, they would end up getting more, that they would get more and get more and get more, but it says, but they come to poverty. This is the reality of God's economy, that if you want to love your life, You choose to give yourself away to others, even when it's not easy, even when it's difficult. And there's something that comes back to you that is beautiful and amazing and wonderful. I've said this for years, but I think in a family, every single person in the family should be giving into the family. Anybody agree with me on that? You shouldn't have teenagers laying on the couch, never doing anything. Everybody in the family should be giving into the family. Amen? Amen. And if you're in a church family, everybody in the church, if you belong to a church family, everybody in the church family should be engaged in some way in serving. You don't have to offer yourself up on the altar and die. You just give in some capacity because that's what family does. And I see that so much at TVC. I see how God is working because people give of themselves. You know what's exciting to me, how God's at work in our church? You know, last weekend, between our three campuses and, of course, online, We saw 30 people make decisions for Christ. Is that cool or what? 30 people make decisions for Christ. And get this. We did 54 baptisms where people made public affirmations of their faith last weekend. Such a cool... I love being a part of that. And that's not because there's a few superstars at the church. That's because there's hundreds of people every weekend at all our campuses serving countless different ways. And they give of themselves and it makes a difference. I am thinking about what God does and what He's done really in the Delton area as we expanded out and put a campus in the Delton area. It's been just really cool to watch. And from the beginning, that has been about people serving. That's what it's been about about people serving. And uh, Melinda Mills, who's the campus pastor, I asked her to come and just talk with us a little bit. Come on up, Melinda. Would you welcome Melinda to the platform? We'll just talk for a few minutes on this. And we've got some chairs here. Thank you so much, buddy. I appreciate that. So why don't you just, let's just start, uh, about, talk a little about the genesis of the whole Delton campus thing.
1: Sure. So as I was thinking through this um, interview, I got to thinking, we have been in Delton Almost two years, which means that it's been over three years since we started planning and training and um, getting people on board to go down to Delton, which just blows my mind. And I can remember, so of course, as I was thinking through the last three, three and a half years, I can remember... When I heard we were going for a third campus, I was so excited because I love our mission of connecting people with God, and um, I am completely on board with being a serving church for unchurched people. Um, that just I loved that when I first started to, coming to TVC, and I continue to see that. So an unchurched person would just simply be someone that either has never been to church um, or hasn't been to church in a long time, and I loved that um, vision. And so... Um, Then I I was excited all over again as I got to think, as we found out we were going to Delton, because I had served in Delton, and I loved the people in Delton. I loved the community in Delton. I loved the resilience that the Delton community shows. But I also knew that um, Delton had experienced a lot of heartbreak, and I knew that Delton needed Jesus. And so as we went, I was excited about the fact that we could go to Delton. So many people signed up to go and those that were like oh, I am not I'm not in a position to go they signed up to pray
0: so so give us an example or talk a little bit about what's happened in that last year and three quarters or whatever yeah
1: so we have had over 50 decisions for Christ in Dalton Fifty and
0: decisions for Fifty Christ.
1: decisions, yeah.
0: Yeah, these are things that wouldn't have happened if we, had if ne- we hadn't not done been done that. in yeah. yeah,
1: so 50 decisions. And the story that I I think one of the stories that I just continually go back to is this individual that started coming um, to TBC Dalton, And this individual showed up for the first, the first time, and she wasn't even sure why she had come. She just knew there was something that pulled her. And because we were in her community, it was very easy for her to do. And so she came back the next week, and she's like, There was just something that compelled me. She's like, I can't tell you why. There was just something that compelled me. She came back the next week and the next week and the next week because we were in her community. And eventually she made a decision for Christ. So
0: she's one of the 50. She
1: is one of the 50. And I have seen her... Grow not just in her connection with God, but I have seen her grow as she serves, as she um, connects within the community. I have watched her beat an addiction. um, And God has just just been so cool to see how that connection with God has completely changed her life. And so, of course, it's not about the number. 50 is a great number, but it's not about the number. It's about lives changed. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so here here we are now. We have this campus in rural. uh, So... Hastings is rural but Delton is like rural and compared to Hastings we'd be <laughs> urban all right uh, you know us and the cows here they're very rural mm-hmm. so you're there now what, t- talk about what's ha- going so, on now, because good, cool things happen.
1: Great stuff's happening, yeah. So right now we're portable. So we went to when we went to Delton, we um, talked with the school district, and they have us in the middle school. And so Sunday mornings, we go, we set up, we have service, and then we tear down. And those um, that went to Caledonia and um, helped with the Middleville launch for the Middleville campus know it is just, it can be exhausting. It can take a huge toll on your volunteers. And so we knew, even going in, that we were looking for a permanent home. And so um, the Delton School District has been phenomenal to work with, but we wanted a permanent location. We wanted to say to the Delton community, we are here to stay. And so there were times where I was like, oh my goodness, I don't think there is the perfect location. I mean,
0: all there is is farmland in Delton, and nobody wanted to sell any no, to us. It was no. like we could there, not there's find... There's not
1: a perfect location, but what I can tell you is God is so faithful because today... We have property right off at of M43, um, right on the south side of Dalton. It's 10 miles away from here. So I checked all of the boxes, and God has just been so faithful.
0: And so now we're going to
1: build a building. We're building a yeah, building. Yay!
0: Very cool. Very cool. And I'm so excited about this building thing because here's the deal. This is how we're doing this building. We are actually doing the vast majority of the building on a volunteer basis. Here's the truth about TVC. TVC is a rural church. TVC is a blue-collar. We're not a rich suburban church where we just go, oh, we'll just write a checkout for all this stuff. We actually, because people serve, that's why we have the Delton campus. Because people serve, that's why we will have the building for the Delton campus. And so we want to ask, we really do, and I think this is part of giving. I think this is what you do in family. We want to ask if everybody would be willing to be a part of this in some way. So some people, you know, I mean, we are looking for licensed contractors and for people who are uh, skilled in, in you know, all the different building trades, but the truth is you don't have to be. You don't have to be at all. My brother, uh, I was talking to him recently, he gives a day a week to Habitat for Humanity. And he said, Jeff, it's like every week I'm doing something I've never done before. We're setting doors or putting cabinets in. Or something. I'm learning stuff I never learned. He's, it's, for him, it's not like, well, I can't do it because I don't know. For him, it's a learning experience and so we're look there's always going to be work to do so the ushers are going to hand out some cards right now would you guys bring those up and hand them out just real quick bring them up and i'm asking everybody to take one now you don't have to fill it out and you don't even have to take one you're just going to look bad if you don't all right so if everybody just (laughs) takes one because this one i'm going to ask you to do before you walk out today and we're going to be done in just a couple minutes i would like you to fill this out And I know that some of you would say, I'd love to get everybody saying, you don't have to give 20 hours a week. You don't have to do a ton of things. But if everybody said, hey, I'll be involved. Here's something I'm good at. I can help with this. Or maybe I just am willing to work. I don't know all the categories, but they're down there. But just grab a pen right now and fill it out before you leave. And some of you may say, Jeff. I would like to serve, but I, my life I cannot because of physical impairments. Or maybe you're a single mom and you're working three jobs and you you, you know you have no time, your kids are in school and all the things that are happening. And I get that. But there's a place at the bottom that says, I'll pray. And so at the very least, I would love to have everybody fill this out. And then if, if all you'll do is say, I'll pray. Okay, we'll take that. But if you have any kind of willingness to serve and be involved, we'd love to have you do that. So fill it out right now before you leave. And at the back of the rows, you will see as you walk out buckets. We're making it so you can't walk out without seeing the bucket that you're supposed to drop this into because we want you to engage in this. I don't know what your part will be, and I'm not going to push you into a corner. but. I just think that's what family does. If everybody steps in and does something on this, I look forward to that day when we have our first service in Delton in that building. And God is faithful. And we're going to see more people make decisions for Christ. And that's what it's about because our mission is connecting people with God. God. And that's what this is about. So I'm so grateful. We have lives that we can love. We are blessed. And so um, I think I'll have you do this. Why don't you, everybody's writing and I don't want to stop that, you know. Some of you are writing slower than others, but uh, <laughs> I think this is what we'll do. I think I'm going to ask Melinda to lead us in a closing prayer, and then you can sit and fill it out, uh, or if you're done, you can be dismissed. We'll have people in front who'd love to pray with you if you have prayer prayer need. We believe God's a miracle-working God, so you want to pray?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you are doing in TVC as a whole. And so, Father, not for our glory, not for our kingdom building, but, Father, we want to see people connect with you because at the end of the day, it is about you. And so, Father, as you love us, help us to love others, help us to love our lives. Father, fill us with hope so that we can share that with others. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Have a great day. You're dismissed.
1: Prayer people will be up front.
0: Yeah.